Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Peacock. I love it! It's streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals. It's The Office. That's what she said. Chrisley knows best. It's going to be Todd's Way or the Highway. And Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Holy mackinoli. So whether you're in the mood for every live WWE pay-per-view or every episode of Law & Order SVU, Peacock's got you covered. Peacock. Watch for free. Upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Woke up at night I heard floating calls They guided me To the highland fjords Above the clouds On a mountain peak There he Ready? And there will be no popcorn. Welcome to episode 21 of the No Popcorn Film and Music Podcast. I'm joined by Norma Howard. Hello, how are we? Joined by Dave Higgins. Hello. And it's time to go all Eurovision Song Contest slash Eurovision Song Contest. No! The story of Fire Saga, Netflix's epic two hour and three minute comedy romp starring Will Ferrell. Rachel McAdams, Pierce Brosnan and Dan Stevens amongst a host of vaguely familiar faces. Uh, that's the film that we'll be discussing today. You can probably hear my enthusiasm about it. But first, real quick, what we've been watching. And we're recording this episode back to back with another episode. So the preamble won't be as half an hour long as it usually is. Uh, perhaps, thankfully, I don't know. But uh, Norma, as we came over here to your uh, makeshift studio today, you were watching Hell's Moving Castle. I was watching Hell's Moving Castle. I find it very comforting. Um... I was saying to the, that at the start of lockdown, Studio Ghibli released, I don't know if all of their films onto Netflix, but quite a lot of them. So I've been sort of systematically making my way through that. Um, I recently watched 
a lot of them I'd seen already, but I watched for the first time was when Marnie was there, which is absolutely beautiful. Highly recommend it to anyone. Like all like all Studio Ghibli films look absolutely gorgeous and just have really stunning, interesting stories to tell. And they're always worth a watch, unlike your version. <laughs> Spoiler. It also led me to watching a, a film that isn't regarded as a Studio Ghibli one because it kind of predates it. It came out in 1984, but it is from the same creators and I think was released, is kind of re-released under the banner. So it was Nausicaa um, and the Valley of the Wind. It is an absolutely beautiful animation. So gorgeous. And apparently took influence from Dune, which is where I came across it. So... Upon, I actually don't know when the new Dune is out. It got pushed back. It, supposedly this year, but probably so, maybe never. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> As all future um, movies. Like are. we've seen the kind of teaser shots from it. So I have never seen David Lynch's Dune, which is weird because I've, I've seen quite a lot of his films. Um, like I was saying, it's like doing Dune is very different to the regular David Lynch canon of films. So, yeah, I think I'm going to just sit down some night. I'm pretty sure Dune is on Google Movies. So I'm going to sit down and commit my, I think it's like three and a half hours, 3.45. It's, it's, it's no, it's not that, I don't think it's too long. It feels long because mm-hmm. it, it does drag. Um, it is a very. So is it good? Did you like it? It's, yeah, it's, it's decent. It's a bit all over the place and there's a lot of, a lot of voiceover. A lot of people like voiceover what they're thinking and i don't think he really does a great job of fully explaining all the different worlds and what the spice is um oh, the spice yeah. melange if you look because i looked up the but like the plot line for it. it yeah and i was just like god this thing is pretty complicated <laughs> yeah you got <laughs> you get, you get sting in a, a leather speedo so that's something to it's look 136 to. minutes nice. uh, apparently there's a television version that's so on, what's that that's like two hours 16 okay, and then there's a, a tv edition that's 186 minutes so there is a three hour plus version out there um it appears to be one of those ones that is like didn't alan smithy's name get on there at one stage lynch disowned it i think he disowned the tv cut or certainly one of the cuts <laughs> yeah. yeah he he put his that on us because it kind of got taken away from because again it was like it was david lynch before like obviously he made a razorhead but it was kind of before he certainly found his thing like after dune which was a massive flop he kind of had to scale down and go to blue velvet um i think he got dune because basically super weird he had oscar buzz off the back of the elephant man and yeah he kind of went a little bit more personal and obviously a lot a lot better there's also that documentary from a few years ago about Alejandro Jodorowsky's version that never got made. Uh, I have not seen that actually. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think it's really good. Uh, I, think, I think it is just called Jodorowsky's Dune or Jodorowsky's Dune. Uh, I haven't seen either. I actually haven't seen Dune at all. I think I'm going to like, I'll watch the Denis Villeneuve thing because I'll watch Anthony does. But uh, oh, Timothy Chalamet as a lead doesn't really appeal to me. But it does seem to... Because I feel like when the when David Lynch's Dune came out, people were like, Kyle MacLachlan, really, is he going to do this thing so like i mean i'm open to it i'm open to timothy Chalamet being the Colin mclaughlin of, of his day <laughs> of wow. 2020 you want to see timothy he's Chalamet obviously not as charming Blue <laughs> it's got a great yeah supporting cast because like oscar isaac's in it batista Batista's rebecca, rebecca it, yeah. ferguson i think um, is in it zendaya zendaya like it's in it's in Momoa, possibly yeah it's like it is a really really stacked cast and it's you know, I have issues with some of Denny Villeneuve's movies, but they always look really, really good. So 
It would be nice if it came it out in a good. cinema and we could all go to the cinema again and watch a big, pretty-looking movie. Cinemas are, of course, back open. You can go and see Joker if you're a fucking idiot, I suppose. But, uh, you know, not for me, mate. <laughs> like, imagine uh, I got COVID-19 to uh, to relive Society's Great Clan movie. Oh, no, thank you. Uh, I, however, have watched a film with the Joker in it because <laughs> on a whim... I watched Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I watched. Uh, I, I revisited the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. I want to say this is like the fifth time or sixth time I've seen these movies, even though I don't love them. Um, I've got a, like a shopping list length along of complaints with Nolan movies in general, but I will say that the guy makes incredibly watchable and rewatchable films. Like they're just they're very competently flashy and packed full of big star names and they're generally kind of you know you can turn off your brain and watch them um i I don't think he's quite the auteur that people have made him out to be but he's clearly you know got talent are you excited for tenet i mean i'm not convinced i'm not convinced that film's ever coming out but uh just fucking vod chris take the fucking l on that one would you please i do want to see it but i deliberately haven't watched um anything beyond the teaser trailer because oh, yeah. I'd rather go in knowing nothing. And also, I am I want this on record somewhere. I am convinced that the film is a secret sequel to Inception. Or at least is in the same world, same universe or something. So, that's You've my... You've browsing the Nolan Reddits or something? No. Yeah, I, I, I was like... No, this well, is I feel just like my, I have seen general... those kind of comments come out. It's all very, like, people are like, oh, it's the same kind of buzz where it's like, yeah. you shoot a gun and the bullets go back in. It's time for a new protagonist. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, like, it's, it's got my boy, Robert Pattinson, so... And, I, and I've got hope for John... Your boy? How many boys you have? Loads. <laughs> and I've, boys. And I've got... <laughs> Too many boys. I've got hope for John David Washington, <laughs> even though I think Black Clansman is terrible. Uh, so we'll see. Is Michael Caine in it, I presume, is he? Michael Caine is in it. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh... Is in because he's kind of nice. like the new Michael Caine for <laughs> and uh, Elizabeth Debicki's in it as well. Okay, she's yeah, good. So it's got a good cast. So. Yeah, and it'll look pretty. I assume he's got Hoy van Hoydem or somebody. Isn't he? I would imagine so. Yeah, it's it's mad how like the relationship with Wally Fister ended. Wally Fister went and did Transcendence and has never been seen again. I don't think he he moved to TV. Did directing he? TV episodes. Okay, well as for uh, Batman Begins, uh, four out of five for me. The Dark Knight, three and a half. And The Dark Knight Rises, which I watched the night before recording, two out of five, what a mess. Like, one of the great messes of uh, blockbuster cinema. It's just the most all-over-the-place stupid film. Uh, you've seen these films. You either love them or you hate them. Some people adore them. Real quick, I think the first one is really, really good, even though it's still all over the place. I think it's the best one of this for, for a lot of reasons, including the fact that it's just a really good A to B story. Um, bought into it. I thought it had good moments. It has the best ending of any Batman film ever. I get chills every fucking time. Not the sequel tease, but the, you know, never said thank you and you'll never have to. That's great. That's Batman. Nailed. Wonderful. But it also has hilarious stuff in it, which, and I, I'm not the first person to see this, but I definitely forgot about it until I saw it again. Spoilers for Batman Begins, which I assume we've all seen. That bit, <laughs> <laughs> that bit at the party when the woman comes over and she's like, um, oh, Bruce, there's someone you simply must meet. Uh, am I saying this correctly? A Mr. Rez Al Ghul? And like, you know, Japanese man who's not Ken Watanabe turns around and it's like, oh no, it's not him at all. And the woman who's a random person at the party, apparently it was Bob Kane's wife, by the way, played this woman. Um, is uh, The guy who co-created Batman. Okay. And for many, many years, got sole credit for creating him, this guy called Bill Finger, who was like frozen out mm. due to all this kind of like, you know, legal stuff. And then only in recent years have they kind of added a co-credit creator even though he did um so bob kane's wife plays this random woman who like brings this guy over she's standing there the entire time bruce wayne goes you're not ras al ghul 
I watched him die. And this woman just stands there and does not react at all <laughs> to this information that she's being given. And then the next time you see her, she's just calmly walking away back into the party. And I'm like, what the fuck? I'm just imagining now her doing the, you know, the Homer meme of like walking back into the hedges. <laughs> uh, Liam Neeson's a lot of fun in that movie. There's well. a funny thing in... um in script writing when you just you do need those like really small characters to perform a very specific small act or gesture to get you yeah yeah. to get you it's literally purely functional to get you into a thing and then you're like oh the fuck am i gonna get them out of this situation (laughs) so (laughs) funny parachute them out that's funnier than because now they're in a really intense conflict it's crazy they're no one there yeah that's funnier than any like the the forced humor but i will say that there there is some funny moments like i like liam neeson at the end when he's like um took my advice about theatricality but literally like that kind of stuff uh it's by far the funniest of yeah. all the Batman movies and I think that's what really really helps because by the third one they take it so goddamn seriously oh Jesus Christ it's such a melodrama uh, Killian Murphy hottest he's ever been you know like let's really? put that out there I think so yeah yeah very attractive man uh, Katie Holmes he is, better he than Maggie Gyllenhaal but like way. you know just putting that out there as well Katie Holmes perfectly fine in this movie gets a lot of shit for it better than Maggie Gyllenhaal who is overacting like fucking crazy in that second movie it's insane uh, yeah I don't know it's like the second one you know he Ledger's performance is obviously amazing it is brilliant but like the film the more it goes on it just kind of collapses but that third movie Christ it was one of the best cinema experiences I ever had though when I went to see it myself and my friend were just lolling we're just fucking pissing ourselves at the screen trying not to be obnoxious dickheads but like it's very hard not to you get that like opening everyone's got a fucking soliloquy in this movie like they're on the heath like fucking michael kane is just like this you know bizarre monologue about going to florence and ordering a ferno branca and it's just like but jesus not the whole thing when it comes back at the end which by the way can we just like yeah that's a bit mad but that, at the end right when michael kane's character like just have him look at the camera and nod and smile. I don't need the cut of there's Bruce Wayne, by the way, he's still alive, just in case you didn't get that, you know, it's like... And he's with, is he with Anne Hathaway? Yes, yeah, and yeah. it's just like, I, if, if the film I've ended with him just going like, like looking up teary-eyed and then smiles, and then it's like, okay, yeah, I think I think we'd get it. I think it'd be like, grand, that weird prophecy came off, okay. I don't know, also the whole thing of like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character knows he's Batman because he saw him once and went, I know that you're actually Batman. It's just like, it's so dumb. It's yeah. so stupid. <laughs> like, and I feel, it, it for me, it was one of the first movies that I feel was completely, every all the spectacle of it was completely destroyed by everything being in the trailers. And even the oh, yeah. the opening scene with the plane um, had ran before Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, or certainly when I saw it. So I saw that and I was like, okay, well skip this bit and then you know all the the big scene with the, the pitch implosion all the bridges going like everything was you'd seen it all like all the wave factor was gone just to talk about christopher nolan's background performance one of my favorite parts of watching uh, the dark knight rises <laughs> is you know at the end you, you get like this giant like gang fight where you know the cops are like on one side of the street and then like you know the league of assassins so like you know good fighters are like getting ready to go and they're just like you know, hold, hold. And then they just like run at each other and they all start fighting and you have uh, Batman's fighting Bane, but it's in broad daylight, which is admirable because it's, you know, if you're going to fight, have a shoot scene in broad daylight, it's kind of hard to hide stuff. And the background performers are so funny. They just look like, like a couple of drunk alphas in Temple Bar, just like rolling around. Like there's no choreography. Yeah, there's no just nothing at all. The best. Oh, God, 
Yeah. It is funny, though, the kind of discourse that these films would attract. And I think especially because the second one, everyone was like, it's just like Heat. And it's like, no, it looks like Heat because he loves Heat. William Fickner's in it. William it's Fickner's just <laughs> like Heat. He's playing his least ball. Robbery. But just like, like Heat. <laughs> like, but, but the third one, because, of course, Dark Knight Rises comes out. And like, I remember Empire Magazine, you know, my once beloved Empire Magazine. Um, if you're listening, I'm available for work, by the way. But uh, the, thing about, the thing about Empire Magazine was on the month of release of Dark Knight Rises, they had like a, almost like an advent calendar type situation where like every day they had a new Batman related article going up including like set visits and so on and of course the last one was going to be the review and you're like I wonder if it's going to get five stars by any chance and of course it does and you're just like okay grand I think with Dark Knight Rises especially eight years on and it doesn't feel like it's been eight years but weird that's kind of weird in and of itself I guess but like the amount of people who like really pin their fucking you know like hopes on this and like wrote their reviews they were full of such over-the-top nonsense like i've got one here right so it's from a website called salon uh, which i think is a fairly upmarket american site yeah. Decent um, publication. yeah so there's a section here that i think is amazing about dark Knight rises right so the guy who wrote it said um I would argue that Nolan is mostly being provocative with this tale of underclass resentment of an uprising by the lower half of the 99% that has turned to evil purposes. If so, it works. In its tremendous, almost apocalyptic action sequences, The Dark Knight Rises suggests a reverse-engineered version of a Soviet-era revolutionary epic in which the masses are the villains and their one-time overlords the heroes. Bane's attack on a football stadium right after kickoff concludes a simultaneously brutal and elegant sequence set against an angelic boy singing the national anthem that is worthy of Martin Scorsese at his best. <laughs> I literally thought that he was going to compare it to David Lean's Dr. Shivago and be like, <laughs> the Bolshevik Revolution! <laughs> Nolan's done it again. Because it was a lot of bullshit before that came out being like, you know, I think Nolan like name-checked uh, A Tale of Two Cities and everyone was like, oh! Oh my God, Christopher! <laughs> Literature. <laughs> yeah, no. It's if you just... ever listen to uh, if you listen to Desert Island Discs, there is an episode of Desert Island Discs with Christopher Nolan, and it's the most boring one I've ever listened to. It's just, it's like it has Hans Zimmer. Grant, that's one of his choices. I I don't even know, can't remember what piece of music. And then one is a David Bowie song because he's obviously just a really big Bowie fan. And they talk about how Bowie's in the Prestige. And then it's just like the rest of it are all just composers for film. And it's like, I understand why like these would be your choice, but for the like for programming and audience perspective, this is utter shite. <laughs> and he just comes across as kind of boring as well. Yeah, they're immensely rewatchable, but hilariously flawed the more that they go on. What you've been watching, Higgs? Um, so last time... I mentioned that I'd started the new season of Dark. I've now finished the final season of Dark. And I think I was expecting it to have difficulty sticking the landing. Um, you know, it's a show easily comparable, I guess, to Lost, even though it like it ramps up the sci-fi, it ramps up the time travel um, to a degree that Lost kind of never came to. And much like Lost was like a very difficult ending. Um, although I think Lost was a emotionally satisfying ending if not a narratively satisfying ending dark was kind of the same um kind of a little bit of a cop-out in terms of plot but when it came to the characters again just absolutely absolutely nailed it um one of the things that i kind of meant to mention before is that um we kind of at a point now where like with de-aging technology um you don't really get like younger people sometimes playing you know uh if you have someone in their 20s and then someone in their 50s you can almost get away with it now 
And the job that whoever the casting director in Dark did to cast this show where you have a, a cast of about 20 to 25 people, but they all are in three different timelines. So there's like a kid version, an adult version, and then an old person. And they somehow managed to trawl all of Germany for all of the actors. And every single person looks exactly like their older self. And they're also phenomenal actors. So a uh, bit of a triumph in that sense. Um, I've also been watching uh, watched the movie Transit that came out last year. Um, it's an adaptation of a novel in 1944 about um, basically trying to get out of France during the Nazi occupation. Um, but they've modernized it and set it uh, today. So it's set in Paris and you have a, a German guy is basically trying to get to Marseille, down to the port, to try and get to Mexico, um, and kind of trying to get a, an exit visa. So there's like shades of, I guess, Casablanca in it. Um, it's an interesting movie in that, like, it doesn't really fully go into its, uh, its plot, or sorry, not its plot, but like what's exactly happening in the world. There's just like, there's, there is a new wave of fascism. Um, you kind of see, you know, some police brutality but it's not like you know marches through the streets or anything like that it's just like there's an oppression kind of hanging over it the whole time um kind of meanders a little bit once it gets to marseille there's like a kind of very clunky this is basically just a limbo um that everyone is in that everyone's stuck in some good performances in it though mainly by um a german actor franz rogowski i believe i'm pronouncing it he was also in victoria which I know is a movie that oh, you guys yeah, like. Yeah. He looks it really like Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> Do you know hole. the guy who looks really like Joaquin Phoenix? Like he's uncannily. the he's the male lead, I think. In. Yes, he's the guy who like plays piano with her in Victoria. Um, I have not seen it yet, but I just know. I'm hankering. I'm hankering for a Victoria rewatch. I will say. And qualifies by the way no for, popcorn for no popcorn because it's Neil's Fram, isn't it? It's Neil's Fram, and yeah. I also I and have lots the of, like, DJ Cozy. over there. If we do that episode without Dahi, he will kill us. Get him on! <laughs> <laughs> He's off the grid. He lives here. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a de- decent enough movie. Uh, it ends like it's a pretty quiet film. Like like musically, it's like a very just say, ambient. If we, I would actually love if we did an episode, didn't tell him, and then it just went out. Oh well, like I, I, I think he'd be very upset. Yeah, but then you know he did introduce me to this movie, so I feel like if anything, I'm just it's furthering fun. furthering the thread. <laughs> I think it could be done. Um, But yeah, lastly on Transit, a very like ambient soundtrack. But then, cut to black, utterly insane needle drop. Hang on, are we talking John Newman, love you again at the end of Edge of Tomorrow? (laughs) Yeah, like completely just like blindsided me. It was like getting hit by a bus or something. In a good way or in a bad way? I mean, it didn't work at all. Um, Could we guess it? Do you think we could guess it? Um, there are so many songs in the world. Yeah. Is it Gary Glitter? <laughs> no, no. I mean, all all these people are trying to get somewhere. Um, basically, they're trying to get from Marseille to to Mexico, but they're all kind of going nowhere. Is it on road to nowhere? By talk by yeah, you're joking. Yeah, it's just oh my just, god, it's like wow. Oh no. Um, but uh, yeah, like an interesting movie. Wow. Um, it would be a recommend. Uh, two other quick ones. I watched The Bigamist last night. It's like a 50s movie directed by uh, Ida Lupino, who was um, this Hollywood trailblazer. She's the first woman to direct a film noir in a movie called The Hitchhiker, which is also great. 
71 minutes, which is, you know, I think we're going to complain about a very bloated movie. So anything under 90 and I will just immediately watch it. But uh, this is great. It's rare you get a 70, you get a sweet little 70. Yeah, Yeah. different time. Um, This one's great. It's it's a drama, but it uses kind of like a noir framework of like a similar to a Dublin Demony, someone just basically like confessing to everything at the start and then you kind of flash back. Um, it's about a bigamist, but it's a, it's an interesting character study. It's like not judgmental you, uh, at all. For can, a movie. Can, can you explain to your listeners who might not know what a bigamist is, David? <laughs> <laughs> he, may not, he may not be educated in the, in the art of, of bigamy. I feel like this is like a subtweet at me here. No, no. I'm like, <laughs> why unless, did you have that you, smile on your have, face? Because it's kind of funny. I mean, unless you have like a secret life that I don't know about. If 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 if, if a someone who is lives in a country where you're only allowed to be married to one person and they are married more than once. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Bigamy. Um, <laughs> All at one time. Yeah, that's where polygamy comes from. That's a whole. I I, I just feel like I remember like you have to be married for that though. I, I don't know. I'm I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm a very old fashioned guy. You know. Um, well, this in, is in, not that I, in that I have no one. So. <laughs> this is an old fashioned movie, Celibacy. but with a uh, with a kind of a modern outlook. Uh, it was really really good. Um, also, seventy eight minutes. Like, come on, listen. You could get the two of them in in no time. Yeah, uh, throw, lastly, some, throw, throw some ironing on. You know, get through um, two films. I'm surprised it's me this bringing up wrestling. Yeah, I'm surprised too. Um, I watched the dark side of wrestling. It's like a kind of a sort of a documentary series about. There had been like a double episode on Chris Benoit. It's I think Dark Side we of the Ring as well. Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah, yeah. This okay. vi- it's the Vice documentary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I watched the Life and Crimes of New Jack. Oh wow. <laughs> um, do you want do you want to explain who New Jack is to everyone? First of all, I will say that I've I've only seen some of these. Surprisingly, I saw the Owen Hart one recently, which did uh, break my fucking heart because it's devastatingly sad, as you might expect. Uh, New Jack, <laughs> calling him a wrestler is generous. Um, cult favorite, aggro man who was mostly associated with ECW is still applying his trade these days. Um, horrifically scarred gentleman um, very violent um, was booked like a guy who was like an ex-prisoner or something and um, yeah just you know a garbage wrestler like literally garbage wrestling like hardcore wrestling like that's what he would do but a very questionable human being I want to say yeah um, this <laughs> I mean I mean, it, also claims to have like killed people, and I don't know if he has. Claims to kill people. There's like, oh um, said he was a bounty hunter before. Like, the, he started wrestling in his mid 30s, but there's like not a lot of information what was happening up until then. Uh, and this documentary doesn't really go into it; just goes into his time in the ring. It's it's a really really compelling but like grotesque piece of uh, piece of work about someone who is like a really really. Nasty, nasty character. Like I, I remembered some bits about him, and I remember him being like, you know, that he would, you know, in wrestling, there's things like going stiff is where like you actually hit people, and he would hurt people that he was uh, fighting. Uh, there was like a couple of instances. There was one where someone had botched a a spot where they were supposed to like fall off a balcony or something, and someone, uh, Vic Grimes, I think it was, fell incorrectly and like cracked his skull open. So the next time they fought, he was like, I'm going to fucking like kill this guy, basically. So they were fighting on like a, a scaffolding above the ring. And before the match, New Jack went and bought a stun gun at a pawn shop. And so they were up the top and he like throwing the punches and then he just hit him with a stun gun. So like Vic Grimes was basically like out cold and he just threw him off. And when he threw him and like, you brought up Owen Hart, like Owen Hart had a tragic fall, you know, coming down in like a, an entrance 
it looks like he's killed him. And it's God, like no, no absolutely to wrestling, horrific. No to that's called the a receipt, things. by the way. Like in wrestling, that's called a receipt. If somebody like punches you and you're like, next time I get you, I'll get you back, that thing in the ring. And it's called a receipt. Yeah, and then then there was like just one more like horrific incident. Is this the mass transit the incident? Mass transit yeah, incident, infamous, which I'd yeah. never oh, heard dude. of. I'm like I'd I'd watched a lot of ECW and I used to think New Jack was awesome when I was a teenager, <laughs> and then you watch this and you're just like, this guy should have been in jail. I'm not sure Norm is ready for this story. Um, the mass transit incident refers to a I think it was like a house show somewhere, and New Jack was supposed to fight in a tag team match. He was uh, part of a team called the Gangsters. And it was against, I can't remember, it was one of the Dudley boys and someone else. But someone else wasn't able to be there, so they needed a replacement. And there had been this wrestler on the independent circuit called Mass Transit, who was like this very kind of large, heavyset guy. But his gimmick was that he fought uh, this guy, Tiny the Terrible, and his tag team partner. The two of them were dwarfs. So it was like, oh, he'd be able to like put on a show with them. And he was like a young guy, 21, he was dressed like a bus driver. So anyway, he wasn't got, properly trained either. Wasn't either. properly trained, so he got roped into this match with yeah with New Jack, and was kind of like, oh, you know, you know, I've never bladed before because in wrestling, if you want to bleed, they'd have yeah, like a little little, little razor <laughs> blade, and you'd like cut. That's why New Jack's forehead is like covered in them, and like he's like scar tissue just on his head. It's fairly fairly intense. So anyway, with the with the mass transit incident, he. Um, he basically like true that one of the Dudley boys out of the ring was like, okay, we're going to beat the shit out of this guy. Quite literally. And he had a surgical scalpel. And when he cut in, he cut way too deep. New Jack did? New Jack or? did on okay. this, on this guy, mass yeah. transit, um, severed nerves in him. This guy like started bleeding <sighs> terribly. His dad, and this is at the point where it's like, oh Jesus, his dad was in the front row and like this kid was 21. So he said, he was actually 17 and his dad was in the front row like screaming like get the fuck out of there like that kid's he's only 17 and they just like beat the shit out of him he was bleeding everywhere new jack's on the microphone he's like i don't care if he dies and it's grotesque what he did at the time even now he's just like yeah that was great whatever i didn't, also, that I, like, guy, I didn't give a shit oh he has gosh. no remorse that guy by the way not as a result of this but that guy is dead I yeah believe. he died yeah died quite young yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah from, so, that, from that not from that, but it, but it, no, but it's amazing that like ECW wasn't shut down over that incident because it was so yeah. Because surely that's so also like at that stage you just like this guy is clearly just bloodthirsty and is a danger to. Yeah, the thing about ECW is like it was run by a guy called Paul Heyman, who himself has said that if my dad wasn't a lawyer, we would have been shut down so many times over like minor to major incidents. But that one is like one of the ones that like I, w- I would read about that in like Power Slam magazine, like you know, like yeah. it's it's it was like one of those wrestling like stories that obviously in considering that it's a subject of a Vice documentary to this day is still. But also, and like we don't have enough time in this podcast, nor is it the kind of podcast to really get into the whole wrestling business. But it's the wrestling business is so insular; it's so like its own bubble that like this kind of stuff is like it doesn't the way that you're reacting to it you're reacting to it correctly horrified normal human being but in wrestling it's it's a different world it's like a weird fucking code and a weird like way of living and while that incident would have been looked down upon there also would have been lads in the in the back being like this guy's not one of us he deserved to get the shake dead of him type thing it's a fucked up world. oh yeah because like one of the people that the interview is the sandman who's just like another kind of grotesque couldn't wrestle was famous for just like bleeding and drinking beers and He's like still now, he's like, I guess he's in his mid-50s. He's like, oh yeah, that was just awesome. I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Anyway, <laughs> on that grim note, <laughs> let's dive into uh, the film that we're here to discuss, which, of course, is Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, Netflix exclusive. It's out a few weeks. Uh, let's take a taste of that now. Ever since we were children, we've had one dream. Winning the Eurovision Song Contest. This is Secret. We are Fire Saga. Who wants to hear Eurovision song? All of Iceland thinks we are a joke. That's not true. And my father is ashamed of me. No, he's not. He looked me into the eyes and said, I am ashamed of you. Maybe he was drunk. He said, and you might think that I'm drunk, but I am dead sober. Okay, so listen, um, Eurovision Song Contest, there was no Eurovision this year because of coronavirus, of course, and instead, Eurovision fans were rewarded with this comedy that I remember when I worked for Joe, I remember like writing stories about this, being like, Will Ferrell is going to be in a Eurovision movie, and like people were eating it up like crazy. Uh, Netflix don't release their data, so I don't know how well it's done. I have to assume it's done well, quote-unquote. Um, in terms of the background, I don't know too much about the background, you might know more, but one thing I do know is that Will Ferrell apparently did earn the trust and respect of Eurovision fans because they are their own subculture. By taking it quite seriously, I believe he went to the Eurovision, uh, like he did his... 2018, yeah. yeah so and did his research, but... Around backstage. Because I guess... Like, I guess it's one of those things where, like, this is, of course, an American-made movie about a very European thing. Did Will Ferrell just, like, fucking see this on the TV one night, like the Rock with the Page documentary or something? Like, what was the story? Will Ferrell's wife is Swedish. So he was exposed to the Eurovision um, about 20 years ago when he was in Sweden. He, he said he was just one night hanging out with the family and then they were just like, oh, we put the Eurovision on. He was just like, what is this? I mean, like a, a very reasonable reaction to the Eurovision if you had never been exposed to it. And some was just like, watch this. And you're just like, what am I watching? Cause Sweden it, are also very good at the Eurovision. So that's also a nice introduction. <laughs> yeah. I think they actually, I think he said that they won it that year. So like it yeah, they've got became a like wins. a, I don't know, his Italia 90 moment <laughs> he had with the Eurovision. So since then he's loved it. I think he's gone to it like a few times. Uh, he has a genuine affection for it, which I think is visible in this movie. Um, and so has been wanting to do something about it for a while. Um, so he wrote this with um, a former SNL writer, Andrew Steele. It's basically a co-production with the Eurovision, like the Eurovision, um, like obviously Graham Norton's in it, but it's like all the branding. Um, yeah, I think the, everything the, the, the is the same as it would be. Of the Eurovision or one of the main producers of the Eurovision is a producer on the movie. So it's like it's very much built into um, everything that's going on here. Okay, um, you have a question that you kind of want to kick off the main discussion with, which I think is a fair question. So do you want to go ahead and ask it? Yeah, um, like straight off the bat. So we'll basically give, I suppose, give a little bit of the plot for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, this movie is about um, two Icelandic hopefuls in the Eurovision, uh, Lars Eriksson and Sigrid Eriksdottir, um, who have a band. They're not great, Um but they have great aspirations of of going to the Eurovision because uh, Lars and Sigrid had like a, a real big moment where they saw ABBA in the 70s when they were um, in the Eurovision. They're, so they're not very good, but they go enter a competition to, to be the Icelandic entry. Um, they don't succeed. Demi Lovato, um, her Katiana character, 
is the one uh, who who makes it, but due to a massive catastrophe, <laughs> mysterious explosion on a <laughs> boat. Yeah, um, they're basically like left as the only people. Um, and also, there's kind of like a kind of subplot where one of the finance ministers of Iceland who is basically like, we can't afford to to have a Eurovision here, so we basically need to send the worst person. It's got elements of the producer. It's got elements of that Father Ted episode. It's got elements of our Irish real life. Where I think was, where, where, where we, yeah, where we went like we kept fucking winning. We the went thing. three years in a row, and it was like we these can't things are expensive. afford to keep hosting this. You know, thing, this was yeah. free Celtic Tiger, so you know yeah, this yeah. was the nineties. Yeah. It is an ongoing thing for a lot of countries, like smaller countries, who are like we actually probably can't host it. If we ever did, like it. <laughs> major events in general, like it's 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 similar in sporting events where like the Olympics, um, World Cups, like you'll even see like I think there's a big protest in LA at the moment because they don't want to have the Olympics, and you think like LA is like you pro- you guys probably have the infrastructure, you, pr- you have stadiums and all that, like you don't you're not building anything, but you can imagine a smaller country, um, say like an Estonia wins the Eurovision, are just like oh no no we can't we don't have the we don't have what's needed to do it. So anyway, um even though it apparently does bring in quite a lot tourism wise, so it depends. Maybe they would balance that's it. That's how they sell you on it. That's how they sell you. Um so anyway, my question is, like, what is this movie? Like it's it's a very sincere film. Um, as I said, like Will Ferrell clearly really, really likes the Eurovision. Um and you can see it all throughout the movie. Um it pays homage to the Eurovision, to its history. Um, there's a lot of former winners in it. Um, and it's not, it's not judging it. It's like, it's poking a little bit of fun at it, but it's also like, you know, it's primarily for an American audience. So I feel like they're explaining the Eurovision to everyone. Um, so it's very heavily invested in the, in the Sigrid and Lars journey. Um, but it's also meant to be a comedy. There's also meant to be a bit of romance involved. I just don't really know what it was going for. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you both this question. Norma, you first, right? Mm-hmm. So some critics have, with comedies, what they would call a laugh test. You know, if I laugh five times, it's funny. Or maybe ten. I don't know. How often did you laugh at this movie? Legitimately think that's funny and have a genuine that's funny reaction. Like, yeah. So like things that I felt like were actual definite yeah, jokes. Like, like, did you find it funny? I mean, like, I did not. I was like, this is not uh, funny. <laughs> like, as someone who's like a very big Eurovision fan, I found the laughs probably came from being like, ah, Eurovision, as opposed to finding the actual gags funny. So, No. <laughs> would be the answer it's not a very funny film other than like there are little little in jokes and little bits that you're like oh that's really good if you get your vision or if you enjoy your vision like i love watching your vision every year i'm aware that it's just this big ridiculous euro trash pop song contest and that's fantastic that's wonderful absolutely love it oh good to my veins what about you um did you find it funny i laughed occasionally but considering that it's two hours long i don't think i could call it funny yeah, like two, there's, two there's, hours. What's the problem. ratio of there's laugh a, to two hours? I mean, I maybe <laughs> laugh like five times, but like five times in 120 minutes is not a lot, mm. you know. And when you break that down, and it was like there was like a couple <laughs> long division. Carry the one, <laughs> and I found some things. A laugh per I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that test. I just thought it might be an interesting application. Yeah, like some of the funnier things might have been just like very small, but like any time you could 
tell that they were going for like a big a joke. laugh. Yeah. I didn't laugh. The only thing that worked for me in this film that worked for me from a comedic point of view worked for me at all and worked for me from the idea of knowing what kind of film they're in was Dan Stevens. He's great he, in this. He's having a ball. So yeah. if anyone doesn't know who so Dan good. Stevens is. He gets it. He, he totally. Dan, Dan Stevens is ex Denton Abbey. He went on to The Guest which is one of my favourite films of the last decade and I was very much like this guy's got to be the new James Bond based off the back of that. That's obviously not happening. He did, however, want to be Beast in, of course, the Beauty and the Beast Disney movie, which, again, he's just covered in CGI. And he's popped up and stuff here and there. He was an apostle, that Netflix film that didn't really work, but he's okay in it. I think he's a good actor. And in this, he plays this like wildly over the top from Boy in Camp. Um, is he or isn't he gay? Is there is or isn't he the villain also uh, character who's like the Russian entry, who's kind of perving all over Rachel McAdams' character for a while, but may actually be a good guy deep down. Who knows? But the point is, every scene he's in, he's having a fucking ball and at least has the energy that this film needs. Uh, like, cause the, the big problem for me with this film is Will Ferrell. He's too old. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to be ageist. So again, because like, I feel like I always throw out the ageist comment. Jesus, he <laughs> is. And like, also, the idea that like Rachel McAdams is pining for this fucking weathered, like, Creed-looking motherfucker. Yeah, so it you know? starts Scott with from that, Creed, like, the they way, see not, the ABBA. The <laughs> it starts with that they see the ABBA clip of them performing Waterloo at the Eurovision the year that ABBA won. Um, and he's like four or five or something. They're meant to be the same age. Are they meant to be the same age? Basically, But yeah. then like, she looks like 10 years younger than him. I'd like, I'd, Do you know I'd, the uh, actual age difference between Will Ferrell and Rachel McCown? Is it 10 years? It's got to be 15 years. It's maybe. 11 years. I thought it would have been more. He's 52. She's 41. But he's he the road has owned him like like I'm like, sorry he's but. always gas and like I feel like he's never necessarily played within his age range which is also what a lot of comedy actors get away with but there was a point where I was just like she seems younger than like forty one as well I don't know yeah she does yeah but, and and also like I think um, she's but she's weird, more of a natural yeah. like fit for this thing I think ultimately. I just think that if he played a different role, maybe the fucking, you know, evil, you know, finance guy or something, but like, I think he just is the wrong choice for the role. I think he's just, it's also too hard to divorce. It's just, here's wacky Will Ferrell in a wig, you know, like every time he's not on screen, I enjoy the film that little bit much more, but I didn't enjoy it at all. It's not very well directed. It's David Dobkin, who's not really done anything of note. I don't think some shit comedies like, I think. Um, like wedding crashes yeah so he'd obviously um, work with Will Ferrell before stable of stuff yeah but the, the whole it's meant to be this madcap adventure slash you know finding your true selves and falling in love all at once but yeah it just didn't like it just felt very hollow and not fun and felt like a slog I think I took a half an hour break in the middle of it <laughs> like last half an hour I was just on my phone did you both find because I'd kind of forgotten it because I haven't watched the Eurovision really since I was younger and I'd forgotten that they have semi-finals now so in the in the scene, I religiously watch your vision, yeah. so I knew that fact. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I'm addressing this to you, Dave. Um, I'm aware of the the the, the semifinals. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But I in the scene where they because they don't give points in the semifinals. That's just a it's just a fan vote, isn't it? In and they um, give the, the, the you know the no point. Oh yeah, <laughs> like they do the that finals, in the actual finals, final. Yeah. But in this, they give points in it. So I was like, oh, this movie's almost over. <laughs> and then I was like, oh god, it was like. 
probably the hour mark again. And oh, I was so you like, thought when they did that performance, it was like that, I was, that the was the Eurovision. Yeah, the oh. full Eurovision. And I was like, oh, yeah, they have the semifinals. This thing's still going. Well, hang on. I guess, you know, just to give you a taste of Fire Saga, the act that they perform under together, before they actually get to that level of the movie, there is a moment earlier on where they're performing in their local pub, much to the disdain of their people, but they do have one song that everyone likes, and it's called Ya Ya Ding Dong, and it sounds like this. When I feel your gentle touch And things are going our way I wanna spill my love on you All day, all day Yeah, yeah, ding dong My love for you is growing wide and long Yeah, yeah, ding dong I swell and burst when I see what we become So Norma, you're a fan of that song. A lot of people are actually. This Absolute is tune. This yeah, seems yeah, to be the one, like, be the one takeaway oh. from the movie. I've seen people like raving about this tune in advance of me watching it, and then I was like, "Oh, okay, it's fine. It's grand." I didn't love it. Yeah, but it is just like it is one of the gasser elements that does work that they have. That it's like they're trying to write this serious music, and then their favorite song to be requested is "Yeah Yeah Ding Dong." My love for you is wide and long. <laughs> <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> break it down so What's the big like there was a, there was actually a point where during the film i feel like you could probably predict more or less the the twists and turns of this film uh, if you couldn't i'd be concerned um, <laughs> like, and there was like there was an obvious point where you're like oh they're gonna sing a different song to the one that is planned at some point and then once it shows like come on yeah yeah dong, ding dong <laughs> or volcano man because the film opens with or at the like the kind of the first section has them perform a song called Volcano Man and this sort of dream sequence of like a music video of what it would look like and then it cuts to the basement and angry Pierce Brosnan who is Will Ferrell's dad in this What did you think of uh, his casting? Um, his general I performance think people, There's been a bit of giving out about this I thought he was grand He doesn't have anything to do Yeah, he just, he just is an angry grumpy dad You can't dad. put He's Pierce Brosnan in a film like this and not have him sing We know how terrible a singer he is based on his Mamma Mia We've given out about his accent Oh, Was hang it? on a fucking second I've isolated a specific clip here Which I must play now Because his accent is out of control Let's listen to this Enough Stop making a fool of yourself. You're going to look ridiculous. All of Iceland will laugh at you. Okay, so that's Pierce Brosnan there with an Irish accent. <laughs> like, I, like, I find yeah. like the accent didn't really bother me. It was just... But it's just like... There are no good accents in this movie. So <laughs> Dan Stevens? Oh, okay. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking maybe of Icelandic. Like, Will Ferrell's is not even trying. McAdams is a bit, but... Yeah, she gets. She tends to get. She gets away with a lot of things in this film more than. than well, she's does. game for it. Like you know, she's very up for what she's doing, which is good. She throws herself into the role with fearless abandon. Even though I'm like, you're better than this. What are you doing? I like Rachel McAdams a lot. She's fucking amazing in Game Night, which is a really good comedy, and it's about ninety minutes long as well, which is great. You know, if you haven't seen that one, check it out. But she's a good comedic actress, as we all know from Mean Girls and so on. I was genuinely depressed seeing her in this. I was like, my notes for this film are actually quite sparse. Um, I might even read them in full because there's very little of them. Um, I wrote that this film moves at the speed of a glacier. 
the song along bit, which is a big fucking flash mob sequence in which, mm. you know, former Eurovision people are in there, made me want to die. Uh, I said, <laughs> Tan Stevens is enjoying himself. I anticipate his character will have some kind of humiliating reveal by the end once his full villainy is exposed. My money is on comically small penis or some kind of incest situation. Neither of those things happen. He's also not a full villain. And I guess he's meant to be gay. I guess he's in the closet or something. That's his whole deal. Yeah, but yeah. like, because he's Russian. That which is, yeah, that... It's that reveal is like really sad as well. It's mm. actually one of the better moments of the film. Yeah, where he's like, "In Russia, we don't have gay people, therefore I'm not gay." Because she's like, "Are you sure you're like, not gay?" Come to Greece. Yeah, but, like, that, but that was actually kind of like that was the sunset. one bit in the film that I was like, "That kind of works." Because I kept waiting for like the reveal of like he's going to be like a horrible scumbag. Turns out he's not, and I was like, "Okay, that's that's interesting." And even like the bit where Rachel McAdams is like, "Are you sure you're not gay?" And she's like, "What about your pronouns?" And he's doing like the he him, and like it, it that that was actually kind of funny. I was like, "This actually works." And yeah, he gets a bit of a happy ending. So I was glad to see that I wasn't correct in that because I thought they were going to go with the most juvenile bottom of the barrel thing. Speaking of that, by the way, and I remember like this came up on another podcast before, but like Pierce Brosnan and Mrs. Doubtfire again, the whole film, you're just waiting for that one moment where like someone opens a fucking door and he's like making out with someone else. You're like, surely he's the... He, no, he's not. He's just a nice guy. You're like, okay, strange. Um, Rachel McAdams is above this, I've written down. Will Ferrell is an embarrassment. <laughs> that's pretty much that my... That's pretty much... I've got a couple more things, but like, <laughs> but that's about it. Yeah. Rachel McAdams' hair throughout this entire thing is incredible. Actually, most of her costumes are fantastic as well. Um, she definitely comes out of the film. Her and Dan Stevens come out of it looking well, but I was very envious of the braiding. And the little, like... The way to show she's Icelandic is to have her wear these like oversized like Bosco sweaters and have like little buns in her hair. And then it's like, look, she's Icelandic. We're going to talk about this when we talk about yesterday on the next episode. But there was a little, it's less in this, but it's still there to a degree where I was like, are you trying to like make me think that Rachel McAdams isn't beautiful? Like, is that what you're trying to do, film? Because I was like... Or make her seem like she's ordinary? Or something. And all, but the idea... But she also always seems to be like, if you want to make a girl seem kind of ordinary or more down to earth in Hollywood films, it's like, if she's a blonde, just take the highlights out of her hair and make it a bit more dirty blonde. And now she's boring. And it's like... Yeah, it's weird. And also like pining for this man child who's, again, feels 20 years older than her, but isn't. And I'm like... What are you doing? <laughs> she should have gone off with Dan Stevens. Ultimately. She should have gone off with Dan Stevens. I have a, a question about that. So I I think that Will Ferrell is massively miscastness. Like, I get it. You love the Eurovision and you wrote this movie, but maybe realize that it you shouldn't be the lead. Directed. Do, do you think that you could swap the roles of Dan Stevens yeah. and Will Ferrell? When, uh, no, you could put Dan Stevens into the Will Ferrell role, but he would still be too... He wouldn't be right for the... like ridiculously good-looking camp russian man unless it was no if if you if you maybe change parts of that role um, yeah you could put him in the slightly antagonistic guy role but i think he should be like the host of the show or even like overtly sexual then you can kind of like play against how will ferrell is but i think the best role for will ferrell would have been if they gave graham norton a co-commentator He's the American co commentator like, who doesn't get it. Kind you know, of like, like the dodgeball. Like, or best yeah. in show. Like, I mean, like, otherwise it's just Graham Norton on his own in a studio for two hours one day, like reading lines. And it's like, yeah, it's and fine. Looking at bits, yeah. I also found, like, and I really enjoy Graham Norton and I really enjoy his um, Eurovision commentary. They made him just seem so flat in this as well. Like, he's just like, the whole point is of him common. Uh, commentating on the Eurovision is that he has these fun sassy lines and he it's just the piss like, out of it, like yeah in a playful way whereas it felt like he was actually quite I don't know it was like 
I, kind I of know maybe they gave him a specific script and they were like, don't veer from this. It just, it felt very stunted, his lines. And I don't well, know even, why e- that even was. Even Cuddington. Because he's a very good comic And I know, actor. I know he's like, uh, okay, I haven't watched your vision in a while. Like, is he, he's, is he usually in a studio in the BBC when it's on or does he go to the show? Um, I know you don't see him No, the he's show. in a studio. So fair enough. That is what is he's... Is he at the Eurovision? Well, he is. He, is he gives, he gives he the UK's there. points as well, doesn't he? Okay, so he's not. No, 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 no. That's someone else. The one oh. Eurovision fan that's listening to the show is like freaking out. Right? Know, You're getting now, it like, wrong. Someone's at home being like, "I can't believe she said she was a fan of Eurovision." And I'm, like, I'm sorry. I guess the point is that every time you, uh, from I'm a visual, but from a visual, every time you cut to him and he's clearly in a fucking booth, it's like this. Yeah, it feels like a disconnect. disconnect. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just like like he's nowhere near where this was filmed. This could be like performing. when this film was shot and done, and he was post. Like it just yeah. feels. It looks so exactly like when you say post, like you're watching someone recording ADR. Yeah, it's exactly. Mm. There's, there's nothing, nothing at all. There isn't there. even a monitor behind him showing the fucking like. It's just like this would have been so easy to just make it. Like, just put him there. Especially seeing as I feel like if this, like, if there is a big American audience to watch the film Eurovision, um, and potentially an American audience who don't know much about it, they might rely on. He's the explainer. Yeah, but they also Americans are very familiar with Graham Norton because I feel like. Well, like a lot of really popular people go on his TV show. And his they show know is how shown, sassy and funny he is. His like, show is shown on like BBC America yeah, as well. Like it does like, have an American audience. I think people know how funny and witty he can be. So it was just yeah. mind boggling how they tried like, to like splice him into it. this role where he's like not just the commentator, but also like the. He's basically the fucking Giancarlo Giannini character in Casino Royale being like, and now. James Bond is going to play this card and try and get into the river. And it's like, cool, fine, I get it. Yeah, grand, cool. It just doesn't work. It's just all these elements that just don't really work. And I don't know. I mean, I've seen some Eurovision fans think this is awesome, but I've seen a lot of Eurovision fans be like, this is a fucking insult. <laughs> and it's like, okay. I mean, like for me, yeah, I just found it to be I a really also, boring comedy. When they, because a friend of mine was like, there's going to be a sequence and I think you're really going to like it. I enjoyed the big sing along. Yeah. I just love but it's I think, ridiculous. I think the big problem it's also for me very was, Eurovision. I think the big problem but for me like, was the was just like the production of it because I was like, every single character is clearly like you know the audio is clearly shot three weeks later or something. There was just the way yeah. it was it was linked up or something. I just was like, I can't. This is this doesn't feel. I did like because someone was like, oh, they bring on all like they bring on some past Eurovision winners, and I was like. Johnny Logan, Johnny Logan, Johnny Logan, like fingers crossed. And it's all like extremely recent ones. Ireland is basically written out. Ireland is fucking done wrong in this movie. Yeah. Ireland erasure. Yeah, literally <laughs> Ireland winning erasure. It's like the one thing we were really good at. For Still a while. the record winner, like seven yeah, times. Like I think Sweden are maybe like I think. someone Please else are like maybe like one or two wins away from catching up with us or beating us. But it just it was like, God, there's like no mention of Ireland at all. I don't think this movie would have had the same kind of drive if that at the start of it they were watching like rock and roll kids instead of Waterloo. <laughs> One thing though I did notice, uh, and I was, you know, uh, I think your Eurovision fans might forgive me uh, if any previous trespasses because there is that moment where in the semi-finals, I think it is, uh, or maybe even the, the thing, no, the main ceremony is being held in Edinburgh or something. Which would imply Which would suggest that the that UK Great Britain won. won. <laughs> and we all know that the UK never win this thing. They even make a joke about it in the movie. How you, well, when did they last win? Books Fizz? Probably <laughs> not in my lifetime, but I can quite recall. Someone else, who sang the But it was like, it was like, what the fuck? It was like, this doesn't make any sense. The film itself has even acknowledged that the UK are hated and don't win this thing ever. So that was a really weird part of it. That when I was, when they first travel to Edinburgh, I was like, are they 
Is it that they're going to suggest that the semi-finals will be held elsewhere to the main thing? And then it was like, oh no, this is like where it's being held, which yeah, like suggests that Great Britain won it. Doesn't make reference to who won it last year. Because typically they're like, you'd have some, I, mean, I was just surprised then that they didn't then present a past winner who had won it last Presumably year. Presumably it's, it's someone who appeared on as Dan Stevens refers to it, England's Got Talent. Speaking of Dan Stevens and his Russian character, let's hear what his song sounds like, shall we? This is called Lion of Love. Be the queen I need, and on and on and on and on. Let's get together, I'm a I was kind of zoning out of the movie by this point, even though as much as I really enjoy Dan Stevens' performance. Norma, you're a Eurovision fan. Does this song feel Eurovision to you? Did it, um, did it do the job? Definitely. I feel like they nailed the authenticity of the performance. So like just loads of dancers, loads of lights, like mad stunts type thing. I quite liked Dan Stevens' song. I was very disappointed by Grease. What's the name of her song? She's a, it's like people have these giant kind of bubble heads. I, I was just kind of like so disturbed by that image. <laughs> that there's also there's the a significant work. amount of thrusting, which I'm aware the Eurovision contains. Um, but this seemed to amp the thrusting up. It seemed to go with the whole like, but it's a bit sexy, right? It's all a bit sexually charged. I was like, but also the Eurovision is known for having like Lordy and like the dancing grannies. There, there is like a, so like, a a lordy in this essentially. The, the, yeah, the Bel- I the think that's taking the piss. Yeah, <laughs> I, I they're kind of like it's a nod. Yeah, I mean they're kind of doing some of the greatest hits because even I think Will Ferrell was saying that in the semi final where he's in like the hamster wheel and then everything kind of goes terrible oh, and yeah. he ends up uh, you know running off the stage that there was an entrant from the Ukraine a couple of years ago where there was. It was just a woman singing, but for some reason there was a guy running behind her in a hamster wheel who wasn't, you know, connected. He was essentially like the, the dancer for her, but like he was just running behind her. That was the thing. Uh, so that's where like, they yeah, got that. Like they definitely get the massive, crazy costume spectacle element of it. I don't know if the songs are enough of like bangers. I, I think Lion of Love is a bit of a banger. <laughs> uh, there is, it's not just strictly Eurovision songs. There is one thing in particular that comes along when the movie has its conflict, because, you know, it's going to have conflict. As Norma says, this is a very easy film to figure out. The two lovable leads are going to eventually fall out at one stage. And you get a, a sad montage of Will Ferrell walking through an airport wearing like Bono esque shades to this. <laughs> The numbers are in. Iceland is in. Outstanding. I'm so happy. It's so great. <laughs> Woo. Oh, I love it. Oh. <laughs> That's Untitled 3 by Sigur Rós, Icelandic, 
sensations. Yes. For some reason, I just panicked there. I think I panicked <laughs> because yes, they are. Confirmed. Confirmed. I think I panicked because off mic, we've been actually having a weird, like, hang on, which song is which? Because there's a weird thing in this film where they play three Sigaro songs and they kind of bleed them into each other at times. And it's like, oh, okay, you know, it's a scam. I also love Sigaro signed off on it. They'll sign off on fucking anything. Like they're making like uh, vape stuff these days. They've got their own brand of cannabis. Like, <laughs> like they don't care. <laughs> like, like they sign their their music off to a lot of bad stuff as well. Oh, they're on like they, they they're on the Black Mirror soundtrack recently and that kind of stuff. Like, All right, Dave, that's not the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> it's getting there. <laughs> They'll do what they want. But yeah, is that weird? Is that a disconnect where you're like, here's some actual music by actual musicians, and it's pretty good in this, you know? Or is it like, oh, you know, it's Scandinavian. It's a nice tip um, of the hat. Because there's also, there is more music. There is originally composed music. I don't, actually, sorry, I don't know if it's originally composed music, but there is a composer, um, Atli Orvarsson. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. So he is a piece of music in there as well, and he's Icelandic, um, who actually just released his album on Any Music, which is managed by a friend of mine called Colm O'Hurley. So what a plug. plug there. Unbelievable. <laughs> Colm O'Hurley, big in the game. <laughs> wow. Uh, um, not what I expected. Check out that album. But yeah, so it is a bit weird. I guess it's just to give it a sense of like Iceland. <laughs> yeah, like it's like, oh, Bjork didn't answer her phone, I guess. <laughs> it It is kind of a weird one because again, it kind of comes back to my like, what is this movie? Like um, that particular piece of music is like, I think I'd like I'd heard it, but then it was like it's in that Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie, Mysterious Skin, which is like a very serious film about like it's a very earnest, abuse. yeah, and it's music. very very earnest, and like so much of this movie is earnest. Um, that having uh, Sigaros like this, and then another one immediately after it, like really pushes against the kind of like broader attempts at comedy that uh, are going on throughout the whole thing. I mean. I'm glad it was in it because I've yeah. since revisited that album, which yeah. I haven't listened to in like 15 years, um, and it's still great. But it does turn it into a little bit of like the little Eurovision film that could or something kind of thing. Yeah, particularly because it, it it goes. I think it ends with Hoppy Hoppy Polo, which is like mm. a very uplifting track that you'll all know. It there was a time when it was like weddings it was I in think ads. it was my mate's it, like my mate's sister walked down the aisle to that yeah. song which is why I think we've like all been to some wedding I've, I've told this story before on No Encore but like former uh, host and still friend of the show Cole Morrigan has told the story about how like he was at a festival whatever one they were playing at whatever year it was he was there I think it was him and Toby Carr were watching Cigarettes and some random bloke presumably in like a fucking bucket hat ran up and like ran in between the guys and threw his arms around their shoulders and was just like, and it's just like, oh, for fuck's sake, man. No, please don't. You know, wouldn't get it in the coronavirus era, guys, you know, that wouldn't be happening. You'd be safe. Definitely not book it, Um, I think we're being very easy on this movie. I thought it was one out of five bad. Like, I thought it was just... My main, main contention with this film, Demi Lovato. Why is she there? Why? The thing Why doesn't was work. she the so choice? Yeah. She doesn't attempt an accent at all. She is flat out American. She doesn't, like, I don't know. It's just like, even her singing style. And I know it's meant to be like, her song is like the absolute banger that might actually get them to win the Eurovision. It just, I don't think the song is actually that good. Which is also like a massive pressure when you make a film that's about a song contest and the risk that the songs like aren't going to be 
as good as they should be. Like if you made a film about a band who are meant to be really successful, but their songs are actually only just okay. So I get that there's like a lot of pressure to make those songs really good. Um, and I guess in comedy you get away with it, but like, I don't know, it's just, she didn't work at all when she comes back as a weird, like half dead on fire ghost thing to warn him about evil happening. I just was like, why Demi Lovato? It was actually annoying to me. They could get her. I don't know. Maybe she expressed interest. Like who, who do you get? Cause like Conchita Worst is in the movie. So <laughs> the well, there's like, plenty, yeah, plenty of people from like, the year of recent past, but yeah, yeah, no, she didn't work. Like, just on a very simple level, like she doesn't look Icelandic at all. Like yeah. Will Ferrell, you can kind of maybe get away. McAdams, I think you can. Like, but she doesn't. Not did like, did uh, accent aside? Did Pierce Brosnan convince you? Pierce Brosnan, by the way, the whole gimmick of his character. I feel like he could look Icelandic. Well, the I whole mean, gimmick, he just wears a beard. Like he's kind of like rugged beard. You put Silver him in the Fox, right attire, yeah, yeah. and then it's like, yeah, it's it's They're all wearing those patterny jumpers. <laughs> the whole gimmick of the character of Pierce Brosnan is that he's like slept with every woman in the village, um, and ever, and and also is proud of it, which is which is kind of funny. So his name is Eric, mm. the dad. His name is Eric Eric's Eric son, Song. Son of yeah. There's a running yeah. joke where like. Rachel McAdams might be Will Ferrell's brother because generally he slept take, with everyone in town. But yeah. like, apart she's, from she's, uh, Sigrid, Eric's, daughter, Eric's daughter, which is which daughter is of Eric, daughter of Eric. That's yeah, the joke. but it turns yeah. out they're not related because it turns out that the one woman he couldn't have. But then the film, of course, they get married and stuff. And the whole idea is that he's Lothario. His character is mental though because like his character starts off with like full on hatred for Will Ferrell, but very easily is like I'm actually really proud of you now. And I'm like, oh, that conflict's sorted. Um, it's just a, all the lads back home in the pub. I like what were they at? It was just like, let's all put on the Eurovision so we can laugh at him. And then like Chris Barnum's like, turn it off, please. And he's just like, no, this means so much. Your son's on TV. It's great for us. It's like, when did you make that turnaround? There's also this moment where they're like, this game sucks. Turn it off. And you can see the score and it's 4 2. I'm like, that sounds like a good game to me. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, leave it on. But nah, uh, ultimately, you know, so. Did you you work out who was playing? I didn't stop and do a fucking computer enhance moment. No, I was like, I'll just move on. But I saw the score and I was like, 4 2. I was like, anything could change. I mean, one goal changes this game. Um, of course, in the end of the movie, conflict happens. They come back. They reunite. Um, in the end, they sing. A, she sings a different song. He's there on piano as well. The song is Husavik, which is the town that they're from. And that song sounds like this. say about that first of all i think appropriate enough for like you know her big moment because the whole idea is that you know you're never going to be able to like hit that high note without unless he's in the background and that's the whole point the whole point is she's the real fucking star even though again film undercuts it immediately by being like now i can finally be with you you will finally love me will ferrell and i'm like dude fucking punching like i mean really like this <laughs> like rachel mcadams come Should on have gone off with dan stevens it's I, just I, like... I think he's got other things on his mind by the end of the movie but i mean like you also have this, this thing where like um 
I liked the I liked the fact that like you know while watching I was like, but wait a minute! I was like, surely a, a song contest as rigid and respectful as Eurovision won't possibly allow this last minute song change. And thankfully, Graham Norton makes the same gag where he's like, that was beautiful, but of course they will be disqualified. For, and I was like, that's good. That also it ties the bow on it where it's like you know, grand cool. They, they, they don't come home as winners, but they come home as as you know they they make the town proud. Like it, again, I mean, I, I sound like I'm just like yeah, whatever. I just find it just relentlessly boring. Like it's a slog of a the, movie. There's a weird moment as well where she's like, oh, no I wish I could it. just sing in Icelandic. And she doesn't for the whole movie until she sings that song. And then they're like, she's singing in Icelandic. I like, is that a major thing? No, not at all. <laughs> in general? People sing in their native tongue in the yeah, Eurovision, in the Eurovision all, the time. all the time. So I was like, maybe this is like specific to Iceland that they want to be particularly proud of their language. And the more I researched it, there's nothing to go on there. It's confidence so, thing. Last, last one, another question from, from the brain of David Higgins. Would Eurovision work better as a straight romantic comedy or a raunchy or rated romp? My answer to that is the latter, but also I don't think it would work terribly well either. Because again, I just can't buy these two as a couple. Where do you stand? Um... I think it, for it to be a straight rom-com, obviously you would have to get Will Ferrell out of there. Um, and if you're not going to do that, then you just need to lean into um, the R-rated romp, make it ridiculous. Like there's lots of, Dan Stevens has a large penis joke. Like you kind of really have to hit on that a lot more for it to be uh, anything that would make sense. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, Save I still this film feel like, Norma. I don't know what the Maybe film perfect, is was. To, <laughs> I just don't know what it was trying to achieve. Cause obviously, yeah, it told the story of like, for anyone who didn't know what the Eurovision was, they now know. So I'm like, the best you get out of it is that people have a better understanding and hopefully appreciation for the Eurovision. So you think it's mostly an ad? Like it's mostly just marketing? Like, it's got that logo on the fucking poster, you know? I know, and like like you were saying, they get all the actual like signed off on Eurovision, like signage and everything. I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily wanted a film about the Eurovision. Well, you got it. So, that, so there there you was, go. those are my last words. Okay, it. like I that said, and I've looked it up, and only ten percent of the Icelandic population generally believe in elves. Okay. Yeah, there's also an elves subplot that makes no sense. No sense. Leads no to a, leads to a murder. Uh, <laughs> one out of five from me. What about you? Um, I'll give it a two because I really did like Rachel McAdams' hair. I'll give it a two because I liked uh, Will Ferrell's coat. <laughs> Is, uh, it's like it's like a Hudson Bay coat. It's very nice. Okay, right. Um, so I watched this film on the same day that I watched the next film that we'll be doing because we are block recording these uh, in a bid to bring you, the listener, more no popcorn content. The next film, to my eternal horror, is. Why did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? John, Paul, George, and Ringo, the Beatles. No, stop it. Yesterday, it's one of the greatest songs ever written. Well, it's not Coldplay. It's not Fix You. Do you genuinely not know who the Beatles are? Genuinely. Then I'm in a really, really, really complicated situation. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Sorry, I'm just listening to Jack's new song. What's this one called? Leave it be. Let it be. Well, rock on, Jack. Oh, yeah. Tell you something. 
That's right, it's yesterday. Uh, we're about a year late to this movie. I remember it came out last summer and there was all kinds of hubbub and consternation. It is, of course, the film in which uh, a man wakes up one day to discover that no one knows who the Beatles are except him and then decides to plagiarise them for profit. Um, I didn't pick either of these movies. Did you pick Did you pick both of these? Um, you just did a double whammy. Like an no, 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 that's not you pushed yesterday. I think I said we should <laughs> do pusher. Eurovision because we need to get in on that Eurovision zeitgeist. And then uh, we're obviously going to get into it about yesterday. But there has been some kind of developments recently yesterday where one of the writers, the, the story writer, Jack Barth, had gave a big interview where he talked about how the movie was essentially uh, taken away from him once Richard Curtis got his hands on it. And I think we all collectively agreed that that was interesting and that maybe we should do it. It was also Ringo Starr's 80th birthday recently. Oh, and there I, we go. I can't think of a better present for him than us giving out about yesterday. <laughs> Presumably. Who knows? I mean, maybe it's amazing. Uh, next episode, though, yesterday, we're going to get into it. So this has been No Popcorn. Thank you, Norma Howard. Thank you very much. Thank you, David Higgins. Thank you, David. Back real soon. Yeah, I know there's been a bit of a lull with the show lately, but uh, as noted um, in the last episode and in this episode as well, we've included a link to a Spotify playlist, which has every single episode of No Popcorn in it for, you know, nice housekeeping, I suppose. So if you like the show, you can obviously support No Encore uh, slash No Popcorn on patreon.com slash No Encore. But for now, to play us out with double trouble, it's Fire Saga from... Eurovision Song Contest, the story of our saga. See you next time. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of a Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's a Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central, only on PBS. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.